Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, this podcast episode is brought to you by our sponsor, St. Gaster. So are you looking at getting your product into the hands of the right people, the people that are going to absolutely love it? Did you know that podcast advertising is literally 4.4 times more effective than the traditional display type of advertising? So if you're looking at really using podcast advertising, you may want to connect with Sencaster. So they've created this thing. It's called the Sencaster Podcast Marketplace, where you can connect as a brand or a company with the right type of creators. And again, you know, via Sencaster, you can connect with people like myself, where essentially we are putting ads of the brands and the companies that we absolutely love. So again, if you are interested in doing this, just go to sen.ai forward slash dealmakers1, and that is a number one. And again, the team at Sencaster will be able to guide you in the right direction. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So I'm very excited today with the guests that we have joining us. I think that we're going to be learning quite a bit on building and scaling companies. Uh, and uh, we're definitely going to be having the battle of accents here, you know, with the Spanglish going on, with the Australian, you know, accent kicking in too. But no doubt, you know, we're going to get quite inspired with his story. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome David Fontaine. Welcome to the show. Alexandro, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So originally from the Gold Coast, yeah, there in Australia. So uh, give us a little bit of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a fantastic place to grow up. It's uh, one of the. It's. I mean, some of the most famous beaches in the world for surfing. So anyone who watches professional surfing, they'll be familiar with the very familiar with the Gold Coast. It's got some fantastic, uh, world famous waves there that are on the uh, the world world tour of surfing. So. Um, actually grew up close to the beach and was lucky enough to, um, you know, spend a lot of time outside and, uh, really enjoying that, that, that lifestyle. So, uh, it was a great place to grow up, a lot of opportunities and great place to live. And in your case, after you went to college, you got into investment banking. I mean, how would you say that, 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 that experience shaped the way that you look at business and also the way that you also go about pattern recognition on seeing what works and what doesn't work when it comes to business. Yeah. So, at, you know, out of, out of college moved, uh, worked for a Dutch investment bank for a number of years and, um, really just wanted to, you know, my desire, uh, actually graduated in finance and a uh, big desire was to really understand, you know, how the economy works, how money works, uh, as a young person and how, you know, how, how financial markets work. And so, uh, working, I, I mean, getting a job at an investment bank straight out of college is, is a great way to be thrown in the deep end to all of that and start working at, you know, from a, a, and really understanding those macroeconomic factors, how they impact things like global economy and just business in general. We really got to see a lot of great public companies and, and gain an understanding of what, you know, what an IPO looks like for those companies and, uh, you know, how, how, how the investment world works. And I think it really set the foundation for myself for, to you know, become an entrepreneur in the future. And it, it, was, it was a great, you know, great, great foundation for, uh, for me in, in life and highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in that as a, as a young person. It was, uh, it, was, it was super worth it. So at what point do you realize that uh, corporate is not for you and that it's time to test new horizons? 
Yeah, I think anyone, you know, anyone who's an entrepreneur definitely feels that itch at some point where um, you want to be doing something more and you really want to be you know, making something big. And it's quite often, you know, working in a large company or, uh, you know, a large investment bank, for example, it's, it's tough to get things done outside of the, you know, the business model. Um, and so definitely feeling that itch is at a, at a younger age. And um, after a couple of years of, of working uh, in investment banking, decided to leave and, and start pursuing uh, uh, a career in, in technology as an entrepreneur. And so uh, the first business I started was actually, you know, going through college, I did some time abroad and actually spent some time in, in China and in Beijing. And um, the first business I actually started after leaving the uh, investment bank was a uh, a custom business shirt company where you could uh, online, you could design a business shirt and have it manufactured in, in Beijing at the uh, at the suit markets that I used to, um, that I had some connections with from, from spending time there in college. And so that was my first business. Um, you know, launched that business and, and sold it actually to uh, to a connection of mine and then moved on to the next thing, which was a, uh, a software company. And I um, was actually uh, making uh, making enterprise software for, for, for a couple of years there for some, uh, for some tier one companies in Australia, which was um, which was fun. And that's actually the segue into SafeSide, which was, uh, you know, like your real you know, first uh, company, you know? So, so tell us about how that uh, really, you know, came to light and, and what were the sequences of events that needed to happen for, for SafeSite to come to life? Yeah, so, well, you know, I, I, I was on to my, I think the second or third company by, by this time and um, a, a friend, unfortunately, that uh, I'd grown up with and spent some, and went to college with that was actually, unfortunately, killed in a workplace accident, um, which was pretty pretty uh pretty shocking like given our age you know my age at the time which was i was in my late 20s and i had another friend that was also from the gold coast also went to college with this friend the three of us were, were good friends um and we were both kind of taken back by the loss of this this guy um and it was super untimely like you know in your in your later 20s and you know early part of your life and uh to lose your life in an accident it was completely preventable you know, had had the right guidelines and measures been put into place at this workplace, uh, it was pretty shocking for, for both myself and my friend who also knew this guy. And so we we put our heads together. We we're both, you know, we were both really close friends, and we were also, you know, this, this other this other friend of mine who became my co-founder, Peter Grant is his name. We were, you know, I'd say, we're both entrepreneurial, definitely in nature, and. We put our heads together with the mission of, hey, how can we create a system? How can we utilize technology to incentivize and encourage businesses to improve their their levels of compliance, their levels of risk management, the levels of safety, so that you know ultimately we can prevent things like this happening to what happened to our friend. And that's when we created basically the safe site, which is which was our answer to uh, utilizing mobile technology which was this is around the time of 2014 2015 so mobile mobile technology back then was just making its way into the workforce you're just starting to see you know workers use tablets on job sites or you know in a manufacturing plant uh and you know it was when smartphones were becoming acceptable in the workplace um and that's when we really saw a, a, a key point in time that hey we could create a technology here that uses these smart devices that are all connected to better orchestrate and improve the levels of risk management and, and mostly incentivize companies 
to improve the levels of safety and compliance. Um, and that's when we created SafeSite. We created it uh, back in Sydney, Australia. We were both living there. Uh, we launched it. And pretty quickly, uh, we had a, a bunch of users in the US, a bunch of companies started downloading it off the App Store um, and started using it uh, very frequently. They were, they, were, they were our highest users by far. And pretty soon we found ourselves flying out here to, to California in particular to figure out exactly why, hey, why are these businesses, why was there so, so much need for, for improving risk management um, and why were they using it so much? And that was the start of the journey that, that began SafeSite as a company and you know, we scaled that into a couple of thousands of, uh, that scaled into thousands of companies across the US using the system all the time. And that's what started our, largely started our insurance journey at that time. And and with SafeSite, how much capital has the company raised to date? So SafeSite uh, is is now a technology that uh, Foresight, which is the company that I'm CEO of, uh, is utilizes and is our primary technology that we deliver to to policyholders. Um, so both companies are, are owned by the Foresight Group, uh, which is our which is our parent company, um, and the Foresight Group has raised uh, 59 million uh, to date. Got it. Now. Take us through the journey of 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 branching, you know, into into foresight. You know, like what's the why did you guys think that was the way to go, and and how how did that happen? What was that the that those sequence of events? Yeah, so I'll take it back all the way back to when I mentioned before when we had launched this technology and just get, and started to get a lot of U.S. companies using it. You know, we were flying out here conducting conducting user interviews and largely shadowing people around the workplace, observing them use it and trying to figure out what the pain points were and why, why there was such an ambition here. And pretty quickly, pretty evidently, uh, it was, you know, insurance costs and what happens when, you know, the litigation system over here in the US and the result of, you know, when, when, a, claim, when a worker is injured and a claim is made, what happens to the, to the insurance premiums in terms of uh, the you know, severity of increase? Um, and that was, you know, it was, it was pretty resounding that most companies we were talking to were looking to improve their, their compliance and risk management because they were looking to save on what they were paying for workers' compensation insurance, um, which is quite high. You know, the U.S. has some of the highest costs of insurance and in particular highest cost of workers' compensation insurance in the world. Um, and so these businesses that were using our, our, our risk management tool, it was really that the, the ambition was really uh, – down to hey, I, I need to, I need to save money on my insurance, and so I'm looking to use your tool to improve to improve uh, safety, to improve compliance, and lower my claim rates. Um, and so, you know that that started our journey. Like I mentioned before, that started our journey insur- in insurance, where we we went from that to, um, you know, that largely led us to believe, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could become an insurance company and you know, create this engage and save model, as we call it. That's the, you know, the, the concept we came up with, which is getting businesses to engage in things like OSHA compliance, safety management, um, risk management, and get directly rewarded for that. You know, similar to, uh, it's a model that's, you know, quite, quite popular these days. Like when you think about it's in, in the health insurance space with people wearing, you know, Fitbits and, and saving on health insurance or in the driving space where you can use telematics to demonstrate safe safe driving and lower your auto premiums. Um, you know, I think a lot of us thought about it at the same time, and we were thinking about it largely around uh, commercial insurance and how um, 
these core industry businesses like construction, manufacturing, agriculture, where compliance, OSHA compliance, safety management, risk management is so important to these businesses. Wouldn't it be great if we could give them a way to save on insurance by both improving their risk profile, improving conditions for the workers, and getting rewarded for the you know the work they do every day to make their make their business better? And so we 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 came up with that concept back really like way back in 2015. And that led us to actually get into an insurance accelerator over here. Um, so we left we left Sydney, Australia. We traveled over to California and we, we moved to San Francisco. And uh, we got into an insurance accelerator called Plug and Play, um, which is down in Sunnyvale here in, uh, up in Northern California. And, um, you know, we, we learned a lot in that six months of being in Plug and Play. Like we met a lot of people from the insurance industry. We pitched ideas to a lot of, you know, Incoming carriers to reinsurers to, to brokers, uh, and pretty quickly gain an understanding of the landscape and what we would need to do to, um, you know, realize this vision of this engage and save insurance model. Um, and, you know, through years of refinement, we, you know, we opened up a small commercial brokerage. We were brokering insurance to, um, to commercial, co- to the, you know, companies in these core industries that we were targeting and that was really we we didn't want to become insurance brokers that wasn't the you know our our vision it was really just to understand hey what what would the ultimate workers compensation insure tech product look like like how could we how could we best help brokers help their clients improve their risk profile lower their lower their claim rate and ultimately lower their, their premium um and so we operated as a you know that like i mentioned we that evolved into a brokerage model where we operated a, a brokerage for a number of years. Sandbox, what, what what became Foresight, which was what we you know we consider our ultimate business model, where we are actually underwriting policies. You know, we're we're able to directly offer incentives for companies to engage in OSHA compliance um, and risk management. And um, you know, we were able to launch Foresight in October uh, twenty twenty. And that's when we, we underwrote our first policy. And, you know, that was roughly when you think about it, you know, five, six years after we came up with this idea of engage, engage and save. And so, you know, we spent those years, as I mentioned, largely spent refining the product, making our technology better, and also really sand, getting a really deep understanding of the insurance landscape over here and, you know, having to walk and, walk and breathe in the shoes of a broker, commercial broker, to really understand what incumbents were doing, you know, what technologies were they offer, how are they helping insureds. Uh, and you know, out of all of that, we learned that there was a huge opportunity here, and businesses were really we we gained a lot of conviction around um, how much businesses wanted this technology and, and were open to this value proposition, and and uh, the rest was history. You know, we opened we wrote our first policy in October uh, 2020. We've just been going from from strength to strength uh, ever since. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that. You know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm 
where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a Series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. Going there to, to San Francisco, I mean, to, to the Silicon Valley area, I mean, it's obviously a different different uh, geographic location for you guys, different culture, different everything. No? Obviously, plug and play, I'm sure that it made the landing a little bit softer, but I'm wondering how tough was the whole fundraising process, you know, coming from, from, from Australia now, the U.S., new connections, new everything. Uh, so how did you guys manage to raise the capital for, for the group? Yeah, so look, we just hustled our, uh, our butts off, basically. Um, you know, I remember we, we, in the first two weeks of landing here, we just lined up meetings with everybody and anybody we could network with. And that wasn't just out there trying to tap VCs on the shoulder. You know, we were really looking at other founders of other companies in similar sectors um, that we could we could develop relations with and learn how they you know they were able to successfully raise capital potentially you know get uh, get some support and you know we we found that it was a really warm welcoming we're, very quickly we were able to establish relationships with other other founders in the same position we were in that that you know some of them were had raised large amounts of capital and some of them you know were American and had been to notable universities like Stanford or um, you know, just it was it was a mix of basically meeting anyone and everyone that we could that could help us achieve this vision. Uh, and we found a lot of support. You know, a lot of people. You know, we made some made some really long term friends and, and connections that were still close with close to you know even seven years later, five seven years later, still very close to them. And you know, through making those connections, we were always able to get introduced to investors and get you know. Um, guidance and make make advisors you know we we, we, we went through a, a cycle that i think is really common for a lot of early stage companies and that's basically finding anyone you can to um you know finding those early stage advisors who can really help you uh, meet early stage investors and and refine your pitches yeah and and through that you know we were able to just basically hustle hustle our butts off and um make connections and find angel investors and then moved on from that to seed and series a and uh just basically Step by step, built built the investment case and really built out the uh, built out the model. Now, was it uh, a little bit more complex the race that you guys were attempting to do because it was more for a group versus just being for a specific entity? Yeah, so I think you know we we started off with the the risk management technology and the the, the early stages of, of funding was you know the, I would say the seed and uh, the angel and seed rounds are very much hey we're onto something here here's our bigger business thesis but you don't really just walk you know it's really hard for anyone to walk out on the street and say hey i'm going to start an insurance company it's it's a huge high barrier of entry highly regulated lots of capital restraints um you know complex business model and so it's it's something that we gradually stepped into and you know just basically proving out piece by piece and so in the early days it was very much we we basically took capital into the risk management technology because our thesis was hey 
we know this technology works and businesses like it and they want to adopt it. And we're seeing results. We're seeing some fantastic reductions in things like incident frequency um, and these proof points that we're able to leverage over time, collect more data and sl slowly build that case up where we can say, okay, now we've, now we've been able to prove that this technology works, that you know we've been able to get hundreds of companies to use it and, is, and collect all this data and prove the benefits of their use. Now we're going to start working with insurance. Now we're going to start, you know, brokering the technology, like start brokering insurance policies, bundling our technology and prove out that it works in an insurance relationship. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned, we did that for a number of years. Um, and that was largely, um, you know, still raising money underneath the, underneath the risk management technology umbrella. Um, and that, that got us through to our series A when we actually been able to, you know, prove out everything that we needed to prove. We had years of data. Um, millions of data points. Um, we had some really good, you know, industry studies that proved that had hard, hard data, you know, on on us being able to re um, reduce incident rates uh, dramatically. And you know, armed with that, we were then able to approach the insurance world and you know some of the the biggest global reinsurers and get them on get them on side, get them to believe in our ability. Plus, make some really great hires. You know, hire some really great. Uh, insurance veterans that have been around and had worked with startup insurance companies before, or you know, created insurance programs at big insurers. Uh, bring them on side and really um, start start raising money as an insurance company. And that 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 happened in our Series A, um, and then from that, you know, we've raised obviously a successful Series B, um, and that's how we've been able to really prove out the business incrementally to get to where we are now, which is like I mentioned before, was our was our ultimate business model. Now for the people that are listening to get an idea of the scope and size of the operation, anything that you can share in terms of number of employees or anything else? Yeah, so uh, as of today I believe we're at uh, 130 employees. And you know we 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 start we started it I think coming into if I recall in twenty twenty you know, we were 30 employees at the time of our, um, you know, when we when we left 2020 and 2021, about the time we launched the insurance operation. So since launching the insurance company, uh, with the underwriting, you know, unit, we've, we've scaled pretty significantly. We're, uh, we're, we're in eight, currently operating in eight states. So we're, we're, we're uh, issuing policies in eight states uh, in the southwest, largely around California and Texas. In the first year of of launching Foresight, we had over 1.4 billion in, in submissions through our platform, through our InsureTech platform, um, and that was largely driven through some of the, the some of the largest U.S. commercial brokers, commercial insurance brokers in the country, um, who really uh, took to the value proposition that we were offering. So, um, I, I think the, a big part of Having so much traction so quickly was it, we spent so much time refining the value proposition and really making sure we got it right that when we launched it, we had so many brokers ready to go saying, "Let's go! This sounds amazing! Like I'm so excited to be able to deliver technology to my, you know, to my customers. That's going to help them not just you know not just pay claims, but it's going to help them improve their business, keep their workers safe." Uh, we went into obviously, you know, that was mid pandemic and there was a, you know, that was just making the labor shortage even worse, even worse. And so when you think about the our core industries that we, we focus on agriculture, manufacturing, uh, construction, you know, they're all industries that are really suffering, have been suffering since the pandemic and have continued to suffer. 
um, just due to labor shortages. You know, they just can't get people enough people, skilled labor. And you know, what one thing that amplifies it even more is when those workers become injured, then they're unable to work and they've got no one to replace them with. Um, so really, I've got, you know, the value proposition that we were offering a launch with was the response was amazing. Like it was really solving a big problem in in the, in, in the especially you know in the commercial insurance world. Uh, for these businesses, and uh, as soon as we launched it, like I mentioned, the brokers were just um, so excited to be to be offering something new to their customers. Now, imagine you go to sleep tonight, David, and you wake up in a world, you know, where the vision, you know, of the business is fully realized. What does that world look like? So, I would say, you know, it would be a world where the pricing of insurance is a lot more dynamic and a lot more fluid. And so, you know, a lot that a big big issue that we see in the way that insurance is priced here for businesses is that, um, like I mentioned before, they're paying some of the highest rates for insurance globally, and the, and the businesses, the way it's being priced, it's also very lagging. So, what I mean by that is that if you're a company and you may have a clean loss history, right? You may you may have operated a fairly good business uh, for a number of years, and then all of a sudden. You may have an accident, or you may have a series of events at work that you know cause cause your workers to get injured. You may have a series of claims that can that has the potential to spike your insurance premiums, you know, up to two hundred, three hundred percent. So you're already paying the highest the highest amount in the world for for this commercial for commercial insurance coverage, and then you're going to pay two to three hundred percent more, and then for that rate to adjust for it to go back to where you were, that can take three years. Because it take it takes it takes up to three years for an, what's called an X mod or an E mod experience modifier to adjust in this country, and so that business is being punished for the next three years effectively, and so much so it can actually cause companies to do you know have to to become to be rendered uncompetitive or to be uh, faced fa- you know forced into you know deemed uninsurable basically, and they're forced into what we call markets of last resort, and those are those are basically. Things like state state carriers or state funded carriers, where um, arguably the service is not as good as the private sector, or that you know they're not as efficient. As well as there's you know they may they may even be for, uh, forced into what's called a uh, employee leasing company, where they basically they have to get another company to employ their staff because their insurance costs are too high. So you know these are, those aren't great situations. And so what we you know in a perfect world, what we imagine is basically. We can give the we can give businesses the opportunity to dem, to be proactive, to demonstrate that they're a good business um, on a daily you know on a daily level, like be able to so be able to show that hey, I'm engaging in safety management, employee training, risk management, my OSHA compliance. I'm on top of my OSHA compliance. I'm doing all these things, and get rewarded for that, um, and you know have their insurance premiums reflect that in a cycle of you know weeks, not years. And um, which is that's you know providing a lot of relief to these companies for doing a good thing for for being largely proactive in in helping keep their workers safe. Um, and so that, that in in you know in our in my mind that would be a perfect perfect situation and perfect world and and what we're largely looking to achieve. The way we see it, you know, insurance is more than just an entity to pay claims. You know what what insurance should be doing, and this this gets into embedded insurance and. InsureTech 2.0, or you know, the future of insurance. But basically, you know, we should be creating incentives 
to help. Yes, to pay. We need to pay claims. That's just that's what an insurance company needs to do. But you know what we can. A greater calling there is to actually help improve businesses to improve their risk profile. So you know, yes, we pay claims, but we're helping them incur less loss, um, which works out for everybody. Make you know, it's good for us. It's good for the client. Everyone wins. Um, and so do the workers, and so that's really what we what we see as a, as a greater calling of insurance is to really empower businesses to become better. Nice. Now, let me ask you this, David. So, imagine if I put you into a time machine, and I bring you back in time. You know, maybe to that moment where you were still working as an investment banker and thinking about like a, a world where you were going to be building your own stuff. You know, being an entrepreneur on your own. Imagine if you were able to have a sit down with that younger David and you could give that younger David one piece of advice before launching a company. What would that be and why, given what you know now? I think my, the, the biggest, the, you know, one of the biggest learnings that I think I've taken away from being an entrepreneur for so long is basically, um, you know, who you surround yourself with is everything. And, and really, it's like there's no harm in reaching out to people for advice, for help, to, you know, to, to be mentored, basically. Like the, 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 the smarter people you surround yourself with, the better, the faster you're going to iterate ideas, the better feedback you're going to get, and the less time you're going to waste potentially pursuing something that might not make sense. And if someone who had more experience or, you know, more tenure looked at it and would be able to tell you straight away. So it would definitely be, hey, you know, forget trying to just like break your neck at all costs to make something work. Like you're better off surrounding yourself with, with good advisors and like really thinking, you know, having, having solid networking support around you. Um, that, that's one of the first things I do um, before sort of pursuing different business ideas, trying to find a few customers. Um, but yeah. And just like, it takes time, like everything, you know, like it's, it's, you know, when you hear when you hear when when most people hear about a business that's highly successful, you know they hear about that billion dollar valuation, or they hear about you know the the five hundred million dollar round. It's you know it seems like it happened overnight, but quite often there's like a ten year story behind a business like that. And so you know it it, it just takes you. Know, people do people do hit gold hit oil. You know they do strike oil sometimes, and they might be sitting on an idea, and in two years time it's a billion dollar company. That does happen, but. I'd say nine times out of ten, it's a it's a long journey. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So yeah, it just just it it takes time. Just uh, so that's another thing that I'd I'd tell myself. Very profound. So David, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Um, yeah, li- like uh, uh, LinkedIn's good. I'm uh, I'm on there all the time for sure. Just uh, give me send me a message or send me a connection request, and yeah, I'd quite happily uh, chat to. you. Amazing. Well, David, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thanks, Alexandro. Well, it was great to be here. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.